Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Before we get started, I'm going to cut in with a brief announcement. Ultrasound Gel t-shirts are finally available. Go to our website, ultrasoundgel.org, to check them out. Buy one and show your love for our show, and let everyone know that you are an upstanding supporter of evidence-based Synology. This is an extremely limited-time offer. The sale ends November 30th, so get yours today. And now, back to the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name's Mike Pratz, and today I'm joined by my good buddy, Jacob Avila. Jacob, how are you? Dude, I'm great, man. I I am uh, sitting here looking at this article about neurologists doing point-of-care ultrasound, which is pretty sick, actually. Like, I'm, I mean, sick in a good way, of course, like in a, as in a sick bro kind of way. Like, it's cool. Right, because you're from California, so you can say that. Right. this article is titled screening of embolic sources by point of care ultrasound in the acute phase of ischemic stroke this was published in ultrasound in medicine biology june of 2020 and yeah like jacob said this is a crazy idea who would have thought that you could do ultrasound in ischemic stroke for any sort of acute reason I mean, if you think about this, we know that strokes cause a huge amount of morbidity across the world. And a good portion of these strokes are actually embolic, meaning they're coming from a clot that originates in the heart. And that can be due to atrial fibrillation, ventricular dysfunction, or any sort of valvular pathology that you have. So a lot of times for stroke workups or TIA workups, you're going to be getting a comprehensive echo. But... What if we could do a point-of-care echo a little bit earlier? Would that change anything for our patients? Are there certain patients that this would benefit? And so this study is asking the question, how accurate is a point-of-care echo for finding a source of embolism in patients with ischemic strokes? And then furthermore, is there a subset of these patients that would especially benefit from this screening? So it's kind of crazy. This is totally novel, which I think is really interesting. And so let's talk about it. How'd they do this study, Jacob? All right. So listeners, if you guys end up reading this study, there's a lot of uh, acronyms that aren't really like our point of care acronyms that they have. So it's a little difficult to kind of follow through sometimes. But if you just remember, LVO means large vessel occlusion. They use HHE, which is handheld echocardiography. Um, MSEs, which means main source of embolism. Um, They have SVDs, which means severe ventricular dysfunction. So reading it, if you just, what I did is actually like wrote these down on a separate like piece of paper to remember them as going through. That's like my advice kind of reading through this and it becomes much more simple. I was not that smart and I had to keep going back to like the intro paragraph and being like, what's a MSE? What's an EV? It was hard to keep track of these things. So what they did is they had patients and I assume that these are patients that either were transferred in or already had symptoms that were diagnostic of a stroke. But what they did is in the acute phase, all patients with non-lacunar strokes then got extracranial and intracranial circulation assessed by CT angiography or arteriography to try and detect branch or main stem occlusion of intracranial arteries, probably of embolic origin and known as large vessel occlusion. So they basically have these patients already going through their normal kind of stroke algorithm. And then they added 
the ultrasound. What they did was they used their V-Scan, which if you didn't know, Mike, it acquires 2D echo miniaturized images. Mm, that's cool. With a total scan time of one hour. Uh, they mentioned that there. Um, and they looked at the four echocardiography windows, the four normal windows. And the study itself was done by uh, the stroke neurologist who had been trained for one year in focused echocardiography and had performed more than 350 scans under the appropriate supervision of an expert echocardiographer in a high volume laboratory. So this is like a dude who knows knows his way around a phased array transducer. Now, the this specific neurology was blinded to the patient records and they looked at a few things. So they looked at left ventricular systolic function and visually estimated it as normal, moderately reduced or severely reduced. Then they looked at the actual valves themselves. They looked at any kind of stenosis uh, based off of color aliasing, also in combination with reduced mobility of that mitral valve. And they looked at something else, which honestly we eyeball a lot, but I don't really always measure. Um, this person measured the left atrial diameter and left atrial area as well. And that specifically was to look for evidence of AFib, which I thought was interesting because patients, you know, AFib is a fairly common uh, cause of an embolic stroke, but they won't necessarily be in AFib all the time, right? So that's how they kind of like figured that out. And I got really confused reading this at first because I thought they were saying they were using point-of-care ultrasound to try to diagnose AFib, like without getting an ECG or... Yeah, me too. That's what. That's exactly what I first thought. Are they going to try to do it without the usual way of diagnosing AFib? Yeah, yeah, like, like they will not do EKGs. <laughs> right. But ultimately, like Jacob said, they were trying to see, is this person at risk for going in and out of AFib and therefore missing it on your initial evaluation? So... It was a little hard to follow, but they put in a nice figure in this article that kind of walked you through their thought process. It seemed to me that they were first trying to take out a population with a very obvious cause for their stroke, like if there was a known embolic source already before the POCUS. And then they looked at the subgroups of people that had a large vessel occlusion and those that did not, just to kind of break down the population, see who would benefit more. And they tried to identify in those groups who had one of those main source of embolism, MSE. And then if they did not have one of those MSEs, then they realized it was more important to look at that left atrial area and see if this patient could have had atrial fibrillation as a cause for the stroke. That was how I interpreted their figure. And that kind of makes sense. So they ended up having 130 patients. They had to exclude 14 patients for poor windows. That was one of their main, that was like over half of their exclusions. And then a couple more, they lost a follow-up or they didn't actually have a stroke. And just for reference, about 18.5% of these did end up having a known cause after their initial workup prior to the point-of-care ultrasound that they did. And close to 20% had a main source of embolism that was discovered ultimately. The primary outcome was the test characteristics of the point-of-care echo compared to a comprehensive transthoracic echo. And they broke it down based on the main source of embolism overall and then whether that was related to ventricular dysfunction or valvular dysfunction. So overall, the primary outcome, any source of embolism that they found this was only an N of 25 that they had, but sensitivity, 
96%, specificity 99%, 99.05% to be specific. And that was a kappa of 0.95, super high. So that's really impressive for their primary outcome. Basically, it's really specific and only slightly less sensitive. Then when you look at the whether it was due to ventricular dysfunction, that was 94% sensitive, 99% specific, another really high kappa. And then valves, last but not least, well, actually last and also least, the sensitivity was 87.5%, but 100% specific. That was a lot of numbers thrown at you, but basically all that you need to remember is that this is really sensitive and specific compared to a transthoracic echo. The specificities definitely had some tighter confidence intervals, and the sensitivity for the valvular problems was hurt because they had a couple of false negatives there, and they only had a total of eight of those to go from. So each one you get wrong there really hurts your, your diagnostic accuracies. Just to clarify, when Mike says transthoracic echo, he means like a cardiology done echo. Yeah. Because te- technically what these guys, are, and, and they, they do label it that way in the study, but I mean, technically these guys are also doing a transthoracic echo. It's really comparing like a neurologist point of care exam versus an echo lab study. Thanks for clarifying. I've, I've been trying to say comprehensive to distinguish those ones, but I probably have dropped that off a few times. The last main things were looking at the left atrial area and whether or not that correlated with having atrial fibrillation down the road. And they actually looked at ECGs and telemetry for like, I think it was for like a couple months after these patients were in the emergency department to see how this correlated with a diagnosis of AFib. And they had an area under the curve of 0.74. If you looked at a cutoff of 20 square centimeters for the left atrial area, that had a sensitivity of 83%, specificity 62.7%. So not great, but you know it is somewhat accurate for determining if they're at risk for atrial fibrillation. Just a couple other random findings from this study. 57% of the point-of-care ultrasound was performed within the first six hours from stroke onset. So not from when they arrived, from the onset of the stroke. I thought that was pretty impressive. And this took an average of 9.2 minutes to do this whole focused exam. Mike, I'm really excited that point-of-care ultrasound is disseminating to other specialties that traditionally are not point-of-care specialties, um, which is great. But I guess my question about this study is what what was gained by doing this in the acute phase versus waiting, I don't know, six hours for a comprehensive echo to be done? That That's kind of where I'm struggling with this. Can point-of-care providers do this examination? Yes. Can they do it with accuracy? Absolutely. But what is the patient-centered outcome here? Yeah, I think that is a huge, I don't want to say problem, but that is the question for this study. Why? Why are we doing this? And the authors do make some attempts to explain this. I think what they say in their discussion section is that they want to do this earlier so that they can anticoagulate people faster. That's my interpretation of their reasoning here. And I guess you have to really weigh the the pros and cons of that because we're comparing this. Keep in mind, everybody with the stroke is going to get an echo. Like Jacob was saying, they're just trying to 
expedite that by doing a point of care like while they're on the CT table. I, I, I don't know if you caught that in the paper, but they're, they, the reason they chose the handheld devices was so they could go into CT and do the echo like while they're getting ready for their CT and everything else, which I thought was pretty cool. So they're saying if we can figure out these people have something requiring long-term therapeutic anticoagulation a little bit earlier, then maybe that would help them somehow. Uh, that to me seems like a little bit of a long shot if you're starting anticoagulation just like maybe one day earlier or maybe I guess maybe could be two days earlier. I'm not so sure that's gonna gonna translate into a benefit for these patients like you're saying a real patient-centered benefit. I don't know. So overall really cool idea here. We're just not sure if it pans out into something that's going to be clinically useful. So let me summarize the study. This was a prospective observational study of 130 patients with non-lacunar ischemic strokes. They found that a point-of-care echo done by a skilled operator was 96% sensitive and 99% specific for finding a main source of embolism. Interestingly, patients with a large vessel occlusion or pre-existing heart failure were actually more likely to have a source of embolism discovered. And they did also find that a large atrium was associated with having atrial fibrillation. However, our take-home points include that a focused echo can be sensitive and specific for sources of embolism in ischemic stroke, but it's unclear if this practice actually leads to improvements in meaningful patient-centered outcomes. That certainly remains to be seen. I do congratulate the authors for this work. Really cool idea. It's nice to see, like Jacob said, some point-of-care ultrasound literature coming out of the neurology field. Really exciting to see what could be next. And we like when people experiment with this kind of idea to see how ultrasound can possibly help our patients. And thank you for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Feel free to learn more at ultrasoundgel.org, visit our Facebook page, or just talk to us on Twitter. And until then, we will talk to you later. Can I place an ultrasound transducer on somebody's forehead? Ha, ha, ha.